Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host Denise Messenger for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Well, hi, everyone. I'm so glad you're joining us today. We're in the new year, January 15th, 2020. I can't believe it. Today we have J.T. Maticus. Am I saying your name correctly? Yes, J.T. Maticus. It's actually oh. a pen, pen name. Uh, it's, it's from Medicus, which is Latin for doctor. Oh, how fascinating. <laughs> Love it. Well, we're going to be talking about his book, Final Diagnosis, No Second Chances. I'm really excited to get into the content of this for yeah. more reasons than one. But <laughs> well, before we get started, why don't you tell us how did you get on the path that you're on today? Because you are uh, an American entrepreneur. You, you're into books and films, and you've got all these different businesses, and you're a medical activist. You're an author. You're a producer. Oh my gosh! Where do we start? Well, uh, let's start. Let's start with uh, college. I went to Pepperdine University, got my business degree, went into the sales force. My last gig was actually uh, selling pharmaceutical drugs. Ah. And um, in doing that, uh, the doctors that I visited would tell me, ah, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if they were uh, complimenting me or or making me blush, but they're like, ah, you're too good for selling drugs. You should be a doctor. So. So I applied to some medical universities and uh, uh, went uh, went the path of uh, uh, medical school. And uh, from there, I, I ended up in three different uh, uh, universities. I went to uh, uh, Charles University in Prague, and then uh, I transferred to a uh, uh, university in Antigua, the, a Caribbean island. And then I ended up, uh, my last university was in, in Poland. And uh, in Poland, I... Well, I fell in love. Well, not only with the country, but with a with a girl, and uh, we got <laughs> married and uh, had two kids. And wow. I put uh, I put medicine on hold. I, I decided I wanted uh, I wanted a family. <laughs> but uh, I guess you couldn't you couldn't keep uh, my ambitions and creative juices uh, on hold. <laughs> so I I started um, uh, keeping my medical knowledge uh, alive. And mm-hmm. uh, relevant and current by teaching medicine on YouTube as future Doc House, uh, Doctor House, and um, a nod to Doctor House, basically an MD series. And I was teaching uh, infectious disease, uh, which is uh, microbiology, so uh, uh-huh. bacteria, uh, viruses, and parasites—all all fun stuff. <laughs> wow. And, uh, yeah. And from there, I started also a, a company called Cupi, Q-U-P-I which is a medical question bank, helps students practice their medical knowledge 
by using multiple choice questions and uh, passing their exams. So uh, it's, it's always been medical related. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then from there, I uh, I don't know, maybe I got bored, or or maybe just the creativity has always been there. Um, at, growing up in my in, in in just I guess been hidden, uh, hidden town mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. And so I always found <laughs> uh, medical lectures quite boring and quite dry. I mean, just yeah. imagine a, uh, well, let's say, uh, worst-case scenario, a 50- or 60-year-old professor repeating mm-hmm. the same medical knowledge over and over again, dryly and, and uh, not very entertaining. Yes. right. <laughs> so, so not only did I... Um, try to gear my style of lecturing on the YouTube channels to be more entertaining, to be more to the point, and help the students really uh, let them know what material is really going to show up on the exams, because I, I studied medicine for five years, so I, I've mm-hmm. taken a lot of exams, so I've, I've seen these questions before <laughs> over and over again. Mm-hmm. Oh, love it. So that's what I was doing, and uh, I decided to uh, 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 since um, I was creating questions um, that would show up on exams, uh, most questions are a story. It's a vignette. You know, a patient comes in, he's 50 years old, has a uh, chest pain. You know, usually it's a heart, heart, uh, heart issue. You have a 20-year-old showing up who's sexually active. You know, it's got a, most likely a sexual transmitted disease, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you have a young, uh, young child coming in with a, uh, say, influenza and, and, and whatnot. And so these are the uh, stories you create. Uh, and then, of course, you have multiple choice uh, answers, A, B, C, and D, uh, uh, to choose from. But uh, these, these stories are boring, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So you, let's, let's give these patients uh, uh, some personality. Let's give these patients some backstory. And let's make the doctors interesting. Let's give the doctors backstories. And and I I knew a lot of them. I mean, I went to school with them. You know, these medical mm-hmm. students. And uh, and and we all have a, a history. We all we all have a past. And and some of us are quite interesting. Uh, um, you know, we come from different backgrounds, different countries. Even you know, I, I traveled, uh, not the world, but I, I traveled a lot to to study medicine. So I, I interacted with many many. Uh, different types of uh, uh, people from different types of, of the world, I bet. different parts of the world, and so I, I had, I guess, a lot of uh, a lot. To... Hello. Are you there? Yep. Yeah, I had a lot to pull from, and mm-hmm. so I, I gave these uh, these doctors backstories. Um, some of them, well, some doctors that we know are, are flawed. Uh, some of them are. Uh, drug addicts, alcoholics, even, and and yet they are also the same people that are, you know, doing their job, saving lives, curing patients, you know, treating patients, and mm-hmm. you don't see the, you know, in a in a sense of the dark side of of this profession. Many of mm-hmm. of my colleagues are depressed, and unfortunately, some of them are suicidal, you know, Jeez. and so. So I make I make these uh, characters real. I make these characters believable. That these these are actually characters that you do interact, and that are 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 real. Um, a lot of my um, my colleagues um, they're talented. You know, some of them are very into computers, 
and they know how to build a computer from scratch, and they, they are gamers. Some, some of them are uh, very handy with tools. They know how to build bookshelves and furniture, do-yourself kind of things. You know, some of them are painters, beautiful paintings. I mean, uh, when, they, uh, when they can, you know, when you ask them to draw uh, the human heart, they'll draw the human heart very artistically and precisely and accurately, showing every single valve and, and tubes and arteries that are, are connected to the heart. So these are the, the characters that I use in, in my story, in my novel, Final Diagnosis, No Second Chances. And this is just this is just the first novel. Uh, there's going to be a series of five of them. And mm. that's, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. I love this yeah. stuff. And I, I I'm uh, like like most probably medical students. I'm I'm impatient, so my my novels tend to be quick reads, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and to the point and entertaining. Um, oh, and since I traveled the world, I I added a espionage thriller uh, touch to it. Because when I was traveling <laughs> um, and studying medicine, uh, I, I was an older student, so people always thought, "No, you're not a student. You're you're here for some other reasons, aren't you? <laughs> you know, mm. some spy reasons." So I I played along with that, well, in my mind, and uh, and created sure. a storyline from that. Um, I remember uh, I drove um, in Poland. I, I actually bought a uh, a British British side drive. A vehicle, uh, and, and uh, as opposed to a European side or American side uh, drive, uh, sure vehicle. So, so I was driving um, on the you know in the in the passenger seat if you're an American, and uh, <laughs> and the, the reason why was because it was a three hundred dollar car. <laughs> if I was oh. to buy the European side drive car, it would be uh, uh, three thousand dollars, <laughs> and. Um, and people thought I was like, oh, are you? Who do you think you are, James Bond? Because James Bond is uh, <laughs> British, oh. and he he drives on the uh, on the wrong right. side, of the, wrong side of the car, wrong side of the road, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, so I added gosh. those kind of James Bond touches to the novel, and uh, and of course, um, it's it's Europe, so you you are exposed to many different languages. So in my novel, mm-hmm. actually. Um, we have we have Czech in there. Um, we have um, well in the next novel there will be some Russian even, and uh, of course Polish because hey you know I married a Polish girl <laughs> so when there my last go. university yeah my last university I was in Poland so I fell in love met a Polish girl <laughs> learned Polish <laughs> and uh, it's quite it's quite funny because I don't look anything like Polish so when I'm in uh, say a small town and talking to the locals in Polish it's quite uh, uh, baffling how fun that would it be really fun. fun wouldn't it? <laughs> it, it it is fun so so against more more kind of like areas to pull the spy genre the spy novel from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and things like that and actually you know what to for example like doctors right um they yeah. have to do um they have to do diagnosis, so they have to be a bit of a, a Sherlock Holmes, a bit of a detective, and uh, and in a sense, a bit of a spy too. You know, you have doctors where they have to figure out the patient. What you know, obviously we have the symptoms, 
but how did they get sick, you know? And so we have to do find out through the history, usually, uh, of the patient, what they were doing, where they were traveling, um, you know, and, and to figure out how they got sick. Uh, so, for example, if it's, say, um, a heart disease, that's most likely genetics. So we've got to figure out which gene they have that's causing them to, say, uh, contain, um, not process their cholesterol and have a high cholesterol level. And uh, also, um, they're using new tools, uh, social media even. So you can actually uh, uh, notice through um, social media, uh, through pictures, you can actually see a progression of someone. For example, if they're losing a lot of weight, you can see that through the progression of their mm-hmm. say, profile mm-hmm. pictures or, or things like that. And you can say, hey, that's, you know, and maybe even by being a bit of a spy or, say, a stalker, <laughs> you yeah. can uh, ask the right questions. Um, have you been trying to lose weight? And if they say no, well, well that's a symptom. That's a, that could be a serious problem. And, and you can help uh, diagnose a patient just by social media pictures. So doctors have to be, in a way, uh, a bit of a spy, uh, seeing everything and, and trying to use deductive reasoning to to diagnose a patient. So that's why I think the spy genre mixed with the medical drama uh, genre uh, is just very easy to blend the two together. And uh, and I think uh, that's what my novel serves as as a you know with real medicine, but also entertaining. Yeah. Very true. I I I wish in today's world, real world, uh doctors had more time with their patients. That is that is very true. I I remember I was a student doctor in uh in in Antigua, which is a Carib- Caribbean island. And in Antigua, uh we we saw patients, right? And uh I remember I only saw two patients. Um, that day, while my colleagues saw about four or five, and I think the reason why was because I was really trying to figure out one of the patients. <laughs> mm-hmm. She kept mm-hmm. on complaining about this and that, and it just nothing really added up. But I spent a half an hour with her, and at the end of it, I figured out that she had post-traumatic stress disorder, which is uh, not my field. I'm, I'm, you know, general medicine, I and mean, this is more yes. like, like yeah. psychiatry um, or, or psychology even. Right. I, just, I, I told her, I said, you know, you have nothing wrong physically, you know, but you can't tell them you have something wrong mentally, you know, but, you know, you try to. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a little tough. <laughs> well, you can't do that as a doctor or even as a student doctor. <laughs> that's just, right. It's, it's a bit taboo. And, and that's not your that's not your goal. Your goal is not to just diagnose a patient and, and just be right and kind of uh, push them to the side. But you encourage them. Hey, I think. I think you really need to talk to to somebody about uh, about what's going on, about what's going on in your life. Um, if you're not happy, you know, talk to someone about that. If 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 there's some struggles, if there's some anger issues, talk to somebody about that. Uh, but this is not something that a medical doctor can can help and treat. You know, so that that was the end result of that of that experience. But like you said, time, thirty minutes before I could figure that out. You know, mm-hmm. and yet we are going to our doctors, uh, maybe even our general practitioner, and we only get what five, ten, maybe fifteen minutes if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, so I it, mean, a- I I always um, think if you have something 
really serious, they're going to have to probably pay a consultation fee with a doctor you know, for, for an hour or half hour, hour of their time to be able to really get into the nitty gritty. And that's the truth. I think, um, now, I, I find I find a lot of my friends, um, they they actually come to me first, um, so that I can kind of guide them and direct them. For example, if uh, if one of my friends come in with some skin issues, you know, they say, is this a dermatology issue or is this a say uh, infection issue, an, an infectious disease issue? You know, or it can be even both, even because sometimes, uh, say for example, if it's a fungus, you know, you have a wart, mm-hmm. that's a skin issue, but it's also an infectious disease issue because it's an infection caused by a fungus, you know, and, uh, or say it's, a, it's a, a skin issue and it's allergies, well, then you have, uh, yes, dermatology, but it's also related to immunology or an allergist specialist. So it's, it's really hard to really know where to go and, uh, and, and, and who to see. Because uh, there's, you know, we, we um, well, not we, but uh, many doctors are kind of tied to the bureaucracy and to, and to the guidelines and the rules that are kind of dictated to them by, say, the clinic or the, uh, the hospital. Insurance company. So, yeah, insurance or insurance company. companies even. So if you are I mean, a general practitioner, yeah. you kind of are the gate doctor. You don't treat. You just kind of direct and diagnose. Primary you know, care. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. primary care yeah, doctor. Primary care. I'll refer okay. you out. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I think it's endocrinology, so I'm gonna refer you out. And it's like, mm-hmm. um, do I get any medicine from you? No, no. They will. They will. When you see that They'll doctor uh, in three months, because you you can't see a specialist <laughs> right, for three months, three months, then <laughs> then you'll get your medicine. It's like, well, I might I might be dead by then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm being a bit dramatic, but uh, well, you can we imagine. Are, but- but the, yeah. the unfortunately, the reality of uh, the uh, healthcare system in the U.S. really isn't at the top of the list in the world. Well, it's uh, it's, it's give and take. Uh, for example, in Poland, we have something called a national um, uh, fund for 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 medicine for your health, and this national fund is where like insurance right you but it's a government run insurance program and they pull money from there to to treat you so i remember i needed surgery in poland <laughs> of any place. oh wow and i was like okay let's uh, you know it's a small surgery so let's let's go for it and okay. i went to the national fund uh, uh process and mm-hmm. finally the doctor saw me and she said uh, you've got two options. You can go national or you can go private. If you go national, you pay nothing. But we cannot do your surgery for a whole year. <laughs> that's right. That's ex- that's exactly it. Canada's like that, too. Exactly. You go private, we'll see you in two weeks, but you got to pay for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's give and take. It's it's give and take. And but it's, I, really it's wonder even, I really wonder, though, even if you have to pay for it in that, say, in Poland, I suspect the cost is still lower than what it would be here in the U.S. Yeah, because I believe the insurance companies drive up the prices. Um, here's yep. an example, right? So no insurance in Poland, private, um, overnight stay, uh, and surgical, well, surgical, sur- uh, sorry, uh-huh. um, surgeon. Operating room. And this the yeah. and uh, to book a room, not only the mm-hmm. operating room, but the overnight stay room. Uh, ran me, I think three. No, not yeah, not even yeah, three thousand U.S. dollars. 
which is a lot. Okay, I mean, how many people make three thousand U.S. dollars a month, right? Right. But um, that same surgery in America would cost Four probably times closer. That, probably. Oh no, easily twenty thousand U.S. dollars, but you have insurance that pays. Uh, say 60% to 80% of that, and you still left uh, with, uh, say, a three to five thousand dollar bill. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So it's it's about the same, um, but but the thing is that, well, what's the point of having insurance if you're still paying the same? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, yeah think about it. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. the situation I think we're in. I think we have an insurance issue, an insurance problem, as well as. Um, we still need some government intervention to help us uh, fix the medica- medical uh, situation we're in. We have, and we also have a doctor crisis. So um, actually, my you know, I wasn't uh, a fiction author uh, initially because you know, I'm I'm studying medicine. I'm a bit of a scientist. So actually, I wrote a nonfiction book uh, called uh, "Is There a Doctor Aboard?" And it's just a 50-page manuscript, not manuscript, uh, manifesto of why I do what I do. Because I really think we have a doctor shortage. Aging population, mm-hmm. not only the aging population, but this aging population has uh, a, a, a set of doctors that are retiring. And yes, the baby boomers, Generation X, should be mm-hmm. replacing these doctors. But <laughs> guess what? They're not going into that field. <laughs> you know, oh. um, I, I, I know... Uh, um, I'm I'm, a, I'm Generation X, so I know my uh, my cousin, also Generation X. He went to medical school, became a doctor, and practiced for two years. Left it. Oh, you know what he no. became? He became a stockbroker. <laughs> That's an interesting he found, transition. He found more, uh, I guess, satisfaction than in the mm-hmm. stock market than in seeing patients and. I don't know why I didn't. I never really interviewed him, but uh, I can imagine the long hours. You know, um, patients who are you know are sick and uh, and and you get burned out seeing sick patients. Some of them dying even. You get burned out the, the long hours and the compensation is just not there when you're drowning in a quarter million dollars of debt minimum. <laughs> that's from a minimum. medical school, yeah. From from university studies. <sighs> and you look at you know, and it, it, I, I don't blame him. It probably does look enticing when you can just be a stock analyst and make a quarter million dollars a year. Mm. Better hours, possibly. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Well, and, and again, with the transition with the insurance companies, et cetera, a lot of the primary care physicians are being d- driven out of their practices because of the expense. Uh, so. They're going on the payroll, basically. Well, hospitals can't theoretically hire doctors, but they set up these physician groups, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they put them into those groups. They have to. I mean, uh, for example, uh, well, probably in California, is it's a bit of a special situation, but real estate prices are so high, so expensive. And not only that, I remember as a pharmaceutical sales rep, when I was seeing these um, independent physicians, right, um, mm-hmm. I asked them, I said, how, how, what is your job like? You know, is it, is it you know, as rewarding as, as um, you know, uh, I guess the romanticized version of it is? And they mm-hmm. said, no, it's all, pa- it's all paperwork. 
Yes, a lot it's of paperwork all now. bloody paperwork. You know, we got to mm-hmm. keep the file of the patient up to date. You know, we get findings with the patient. We, you know, try to diagnose them quickly or, or refer them out and, and prescribe some medicine, and we see the next patient. And I have a staff of five, and I don't have a single nurse on staff. It's all billing. Administration. And, and administration. Uh-huh. I don't have a single yeah. nurse to, to help me. I'm like, wow, that's... You know, but he loves what he does. And they, you know, the, especially the uh, that generation, they love what they do. And they, they they got into this profession to heal people, to care for people, to treat yeah. people, to serve people. Yeah. And um, you know, as much as it's a noble quest to be a doctor, uh, unfortunately, a lot of uh, the new generation find that well, yes, we want to you know join a noble cause and be healers. Uh, or the next generation of healers, but we also have to think about do we want a family or not? What are we willing to sacrifice to be that noble profession, profession as, as a doctor? You know, and, and is that sacrifice worth it? Because then again, they may end up in depression or abusing mm-hmm. substances, you know, which is very, very, uh, you know, hush-hush topic, but it's, it's there, you know. Um, there's a there's a bad joke, you know. It's a bit dark, but usually um, the joke is, don't have your surgery on a Monday. Have your surgery True. on a on a Wednesday or afterwards because the doctor is still hungover from the weekend. You mm. know, it's a bad joke, but <clears throat> you know, you think about it. Fridays uh, aren't very Fridays aren't very good either because everybody wants to go home. Exactly. So you and you try to shoot for that Wednesday spot. <laughs> you know? I'm sure you've been around them on Fridays. They're so exhausted. Everybody's talking about what they're going to do for the weekend, and let's get out of here. <laughs> let's get out of here. Let's spend time with the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's what it is. Um, I, I have um, a cousin uh, who's a who's a, a a practicing doctor, and she cut her hours. She's like, I only work three three days a week. It's it's. Yeah. They're into rate too much, you know, mm-hmm. because it's long hours. And uh, and she said, ah, I have a family, you know, I have three kids. Yeah. You know what? What do you give up, you know, to, mm-hmm. to take care of your patients? You know, and is it fair? Is it fair to her? You know, that's the question. You know, so it's it's yeah. it's a tough situation. Yeah. I see us going into tell. Telemedicine. In other words, a uh, primary example was today I went into one of my physician offices and they have contracted somebody on the outside to, to update your medical history. They literally handed me an iPad and all of a wow. sudden there's this live woman who looks at me and says, hello, Denise. And wow. I'm like, I'm like, Hi. I'm here today. We're going to update your medical history. It was wow. I'm, it was weird. Wow. It's it's funny because I I, I actually uh, heard of heard of a story very similar to that, and I actually used that in my novel. So in the novel, oh. um, in the novel, the uh, the main doctor, the head doctor, right? He's he's in a control room. He's far away from the patient. He doesn't even see the patient, and he sends mm-hmm. his minions to do the. You know the doctor duty. All right, check check his uh, thyroids. Uh, listen uh-huh. to his heart. You know how many breaths is he taking a minute? You know do all those things and report back to me. And that's what it is. The story came from a friend of mine. His father had a heart attack. 
rushed him to the hospital. Now, I won't mention which hospital because people are going to get in trouble, right. but rushed him to right. a hospital, right? Got stabilized. And my friend was there the whole time. And okay. they said, okay, he's stabilized. We're ready to discharge him. My friend said, he just had a heart attack. And I have not seen a single doctor come into the room to introduce himself, to look at his paperwork, to evaluate him. Not a single doctor come in. And you know what the nurse kind of implied and said? What? Oh, the doctor is uh, overseeing it, right? Okay, doctor's overseeing him. Get him in here now. It's impossible. He's 50 (laughs) miles away. He's 50 miles away. He's in the office overseeing the patient. Oh, my God. Mind-blowing through probably telecommunication. Mind-blowing, mm-hmm. huh? Mm-hmm. The whole hospital, not a single doctor. Now, that is un- that is unusual. No, it's and it's going to become more frequent. Like I said, it we is? have a doctor shortage. We have a doctor shortage. Oh, so that was why. Oh, my yeah. gosh. And so now you have... Doctors taking care of not hundreds of patients, but even thousands of patients from a single room miles away because there are just not enough doctors. Huh. Well, where where are those doctors? The tell, in the bigger, where are in they the located? Cities, what, in, the, in the bigger cities. Oh, I see. We, are, I we see. are losing hospitals because there's nobody to run the hospitals. All the doctors are going to the big cities. You know, there's no okay. doctor shortage in San Francisco, San Jose, Los Angeles, but you talk about Fresno, you talk about Modesto, you talk about other cities that are rural. Now we have a problem. You know, you, you oh. better not have a heart attack in those cities. You won't make it. And that's oh my and gosh. I wrote in my uh, nonfiction book, the Is There a Doctor Aboard? I have a fictitious story in there to give the example of that scenario spelled out. Oh. And uh, you know what? The, the doctors that are in those rural cities are all fresh-faced, younger than your son probably, treating mm-hmm. you, and mm-hmm. fresh out of college, fresh out of university studies. And there's the senior doctor is probably 50 miles away. <laughs> it's, it's bad. Ooh, interesting. Mm-hmm. We need to fix the situation. I, I mean, uh, I, I think... There are some solutions that I presented in my in my book, my nonfiction book, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one obviously, let's get the government to start. I don't know, loan forgiveness, encourage people to be doctors. For one, uh, I could have sworn I read something recently. It, it might have, it was probably some specific state that's offering mm-hmm. to pay the for medical school for students. Yeah. For example, Iowa, Kansas, the really underserved states, they have not a single doctor. They don't mention it. And that's why they will pay your medical school, but you will have to sign a contract that you will serve 10 years in their hospital. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's one way, but I think it's, it's a bigger problem. That will get us a few doctors here and there, but we're going to mm-hmm. be short thousands of doctors in the next five years. Then what? Well, I do see a lot of uh, nurse practitioners. True. Nurse practitioners are, are, mm-hmm. are filling up the, the spaces and filling up um, the, um, not the loopholes, but uh, I guess uh, the missing uh, 
Mm. Right, doctors. You know, yeah. the, the the missing, uh, I guess, force um, that mm-hmm. the doctors are, are leaving. Um, as the doctor force is leaving, then the nurse practitioner force is kind of stepping up and taking over those mm-hmm. roles. Uh, on the same note, uh, nurse practitioners um, have this um, exact same knowledge as doctors, but there is some um, um, uh, surgical uh, surgical techniques that not all nurse practitioners go, go through their training for. So, okay. You know, so, for example, um, if you have a, a good nurse practitioner that can really do stitches, uh, you're in luck. But if you have a trauma, you know, and, and you're relying on a nurse practitioner to say, you know, take a bullet wound, uh, take a bullet out of your body if you got shot or something like that, oh. then uh, you're you're getting to uh, a whole different level because now you're sure. talking about. Uh, do you want to nick an artery? Do you want to, you know, oh. <laughs> nick, an, nick an organ? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it gets a little bit more specific. So if you don't have a surgeon on call and you got shot and there's just a nurse practitioner, well, you you, you know, better say your prayers. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Well, yeah. what, what, what's going on in the rural areas when it comes to surgeons? Are they still around? Um, they They will airlift you. Um, and if you can oh survive, oh my gosh, the, you're right. They airlift. Oh my god. They'll airlift you to the major city, and if you can survive uh, the 30 minute the 30 minute helicopter ride uh, to to the nearest facility, then uh, oh then you're in luck. Gosh, but um, I luck. yeah, I've heard some horror stories where uh, uh, industrial equipment, farming equipment, uh, severed uh, severed an artery, and they couldn't get they couldn't get the patient uh, to the to the hospital uh, mm-hmm. fast enough. You know, there wasn't a local clinic to to deal with that situation. It's it's tough, and that's real. You know. Yes, yes. So you plan to write four more books? Yes. So the first book is set in uh, in Europe, uh, and uh, actually they're all set in Europe. So it's just different cities uh, in Europe, okay. and these are the cities that I've traveled to. So. Uh, I'm familiar with them. Uh, I might even be familiar with the language, even. So, I'll throw that into the mix as well, and um, and that's that's what I'm doing. And it's a it's a spy novel. So there's definitely a villain. There's some heroes, but there's also um, all the characters are a bit gray, because mm-hmm. all the characters believe that what they're doing is just, what they're doing is righteous, even the villain believes that what they're doing is just and righteous, mm. you know, and that they see the hero as the villain, stopping them from doing their, you know, righteous uh, goals, I guess, or mm-hmm. righteous mm-hmm. goals. So that's, uh, that's, what I, that's how I write. And, and the reason I write that is because we are all a bit of a, you know, gray character. We're not black or white, even. You know, and we, and we are. And the reason I write about that is because, as a as a doctor, we're uh, in ethics. We're given these tough scenarios. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and you hear the horror stories. You know, the patient is uh, brain dead, and and you go through the procedure, and you know, but this brain dead patient, uh, you know. Uh, what what do you consider brain dead? I mean, do we go through straight for the book? And even if we do, there's always these one or two uh, exceptions to the rule where they do say <laughs> come back, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. though they were diagnosed as brain dead. But on the same note, well, same with mm, dead people. 
<laughs> on the same I'm note, they have organs. People come back too. <laughs> yeah, dead people can come back. Zombies even. But uh, <laughs> no, more more importantly, I think the ethics comes, the morality comes in. They're an organ donor. Now, mm-hmm. you know, you know, uh, do you do you you know? Yes, you follow the procedure. You you claim it's brain dead, but you also know that they're an organ donor. So did that did that kind of bias your your decision? <laughs> yeah, it depends on what's going on at the hospital at the time, probably. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of scary. You yeah. Know? yeah, it I is, know. and it's a I tough know. it's a tough job for for. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember one of my um, co- uh, colleagues. Uh, he he did he ended up in uh, neurology, and day by day that was his job. He would go to the hospital, run all the tests, and decide on paper. Oh. Oh no! Oh, it, and he just—it—it it, it destroys you. It eats at you over yeah. and over and over again. It's tough. Yeah. It's a tough job. We all—we always have have this impression that that doctors don't have emotions, that they have to, um, you know, close themselves off. But there's got to be situations where it just gets to them anyway. Oh yeah. Um, usually, usually it's when. When children die, it's, sure. it's one of the worst. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one of the worst when children dies, um, or or even if it's sudden. Uh, for example, I remember I was um, eating uh, as a as a as a pharmaceutical rep. I was eating lunch with uh, with one doctor, and he and another colleague were talking about a a patient that I just saw her last week, and uh, yep, she she died. Mm. We, we we missed it. It was uh, it was lung cancer. And and they're just eating and talking about it, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, you kind of ask yourself, how can they miss lung cancer? Hmm? You know, how, you'd have how to can ask. You miss lung cancer. Uh huh. Well, lung, lung cancer. Um, uh, if say, uh, uh, if if a patient stubbornly does not go to a doctor and has a persistent cough and they think it's the flu or something else, oh, oh it'll okay. go away, or or sometimes it's the the medicine. Uh, there's a medicine called ACE inhibitors, which one of the side effects is a dry cough. Mm-hmm. So you you know you always look for the simplest solution uh, to to the situation, and you think, oh yeah, oh you're on ACE inhibitors, so you're you're probably going to have a cough, you know. And oh, gotcha. It, it happens, you know. We are all human. We True. all make mistakes, you know. Uh, I know that there is a perception of doctors to be almost godlike or superhero with capes and you know, superpowers, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, uh, I, I was undiagnosed, you know, actually that's, that's another thing. I was undiagnosed for four years and, um, I got sick actually during my first year of medical school. And, uh, and that's why I kept on hopping from different medical schools to medical schools. Cause I kept on taking, uh, time off to go see specialists, uh, doctors oh. to, to get a diagnosis and they kept on missing it. And, uh, it was a very simple illness. Actually, it was, uh, you know, uh, well, if you want to know the, the, the illness, the diagnosis, you, sh- you should buy my, my novel, no, uh, Final Diagnosis, No Second Chances, because okay. um, I wrote we'll about do. that. But, uh, but the point is, is that 12 specialists missed it. 12? They weren't, looking, they weren't looking in the right place. They were looking at the heart. They were looking mm-hmm. at the, 
uh, stomach, the intestines. They were looking at, mm-hmm. well, actually, a lot of them wrote me off as psychotic. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is something mm-hmm. you need to talk to a specialist about, but not a medical specialist. I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. <laughs> I study medicine. <laughs> oh, even, and it was funny because, like, oh, even more so because all medical students are hypochondriacs. You didn't know that? <laughs> no. <laughs> And I was like, that does it. You guys are not taking me seriously. And it was sad because you know who ended up finally diagnosing uh, myself? Uh, Me. I ended up finally diagnosing myself, (laughs) which was really, really sad. And and you know what? And to be honest, um, I don't really blame them because uh, this is – here's a spoiler alert. But this is an organ that usually is removed in childhood. So no one has really ever seen this organ. <laughs> and so no one even know, knew what to look for uh, gotcha. when, you know, and which is, yeah. you know, uh, fair enough, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I, was, I was adopted, so I, I, I kept that organ. <laughs> it wasn't removed in childhood. So. <laughs> I kept mine. Yeah, Part of me. But, but, I still but have it, later actually. on, did you lose it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, did I got you... removed, and I, I still have yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say. It's in a jar. <laughs> it's... You lost it later. <laughs> I lost it later. It, it got removed. It's in a jar, and uh, I kept it. And it was funny because we were... <laughs> in a jar? <laughs> it's in a jar. We were moving, oh. and my uh, my uh, oh, my sister-in-law like sees this jar with this organ in it and looks uh-huh. at me and goes, what is this? This is disgusting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, hey, that's part of me. You know, yes. I'm, I'm offended. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's that's too funny. When will your um, book be out, Final Diagnosis, No Second Chance? Well, it's already out on Kindle, so you can download it on okay. Kindle. And have a have a nice read, but the okay. printed version will be coming out as soon as we uh, get the typesetter to uh, fix the the issues. There were some technical issues. Okay. Um. Uh, and so it will be out shortly once the typesetter gets that sorted out. Um. But it's already out um electronically on Kindle, and okay. uh, it's it's great. Uh. Um. It's a, it's great. It's got illustrations. I, I said, when I wrote this novel and uh, uh, I, I got you know great feedback from those that that read it before it was released. Sure. Uh, that I actually commissioned an artist, a Polish artist, to uh, to draw the uh, not only the cover to illustrate the cover, but also in front of every single chapter. And these are short chapters because I like to get to the point. You know, I don't like to mm-hmm. write too much. Uh, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll describe the room as hey, it's a room with a green wall. I'm not going to get into. I'm not going to get into the details about what what shade of green it is. That's yeah. that's for the other novelist to write uh, to write about. Right. But uh, but I get to the point. I'm more I'm more of a character writer, so I really like to develop the character, the personalities. And, and whatnot, but anyways, uh, so the illustrations were um, of, of a lot of them were of the characters, so you can really kind of um, get a visual of what you're reading a bit, um, as well as there's some artisticness, uh, symbol, symbol, symbolic symbolism in in some of the drawings, the illustrations that that he did. He's a he's a fantastic uh, illustrator. His name is Gabriel Rodak, and uh, and he does also other types of paintings as well. Uh, so he he does that. actually he's also the director of of the film. Oh, that's wonderful. So, 
Yeah, so when uh, he <laughs> he overheard the project that I was going to uh, shoot the film, uh, he's like, pick me, pick me, I want to be the director. <laughs> and I, I, di- I didn't believe him. I thought, oh, you're just an illustrator. I didn't know you, you could direct. So uh, we did a couple casting uh, auditions, and I found out he's really good with, with the actors. He really knows how to... Uh, to work with actors and actresses and get get what he needs from them, so he he ended up directing uh, directing the film that that was produced uh, based off of the novel, of course, Final Diagnosis, No Second Chances. Yeah. Well, it's been quite a pleasure. We've been talking with J.T. Maticus. He's the author of the book Final Diagnosis, No Second Chances. It is available on Kindle, and the printed version will be coming out. We will wait, await that one. Um, <laughs> Shortly, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for coming on our show today, and um, we will continue to follow your success with your book and the other books that will be forthcoming. Thank you. Thank you, Denise, for having me. You're so welcome. Take care. You Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That wraps up our show for today. Please join us again next Wednesday, 4 p.m. We'll have another wonderful guest for you. Until then, please be well. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer? Now What? for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?